to live on Blog Talk Radio in my lovely city here in Kent, Washington. Welcome to the ABC podcast where I take modern dating like this and ballot for your entertainment. If you want to call in, the number is area code 563-999-3596, 563-999-3596. Call in with your questions, comments, concerns. If you need a relationship advice, that's what I'm here for too. Uh, if you don't feel like calling in, that's fine. Sit back, enjoy the lecture for the next hour. Today, I'm going to do the Wednesday thing. I do this thing every Wednesday where I find a relationship advice blog, and I go through it, and I tell you whether the advice they give is good or crappy, and I tell you exactly why it's either good or crappy. Most of the time, it's crappy, but there are, there are some times where I find some good articles that I agree with, and you know, I tell you why I agree with them and why they're good ideas. So we're going to do that today. Um, so today is Wednesday. We're going to do that. So it's all going to be good. It's going to be, it should be a lot of fun. But first, uh, I have a message for Blog Talk Radio. We're going to overlord share of Blog Talk Radio. Because you see, last month, if you're a regular, if you're a subscriber to Blog Talk Radio, and especially if you're here in the United States or whatever, I don't know how widespread the problem was. But if you were here last month, you understood that Blog Talk Radio had a serious problem with some of their servers to where they couldn't, you it was very difficult for you to broadcast, if you could broadcast even at all. And I found myself having to record a lot and then posthumously uploading it. So I couldn't do live shows, couldn't take calls, couldn't do anything, right? In an effort to make this right, Blog Talk Radio sent me a message and said that because I suffered so much, so many hardships trying to get my show out for the, for the month of December, it was like for three weeks in the month of December. It might have been the entire month. But they said that for the hardships that I suffered in doing so that they waived my fee for January. They waived my monthly subscription charge for January. Well, imagine my shock and surprise when I saw the monthly charge come out of my come out of my account anyway. So I have something to say to Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Blog Talk Radio, I understand that I'm one fish in the sea, right? But I'm putting this out there for all to hear. Now, I'm giving you a week. You got to make this right, okay? You can't just say one thing and do something completely different. It's bad business. So I'm giving you, I'm giving you a week to make this right. I already sent you the message. I already let you know what was, what's going on. Now the ball is in your court. And I don't mind taking my show to somewhere like Rumble, all right? And stop paying you completely. And again, if this is a, if this is a thing where you charge people and this is how you do them, you say you're gonna, you say you're gonna do one thing because you realize that you. That something about your service was messed up. This wasn't my fault. It wasn't my computer that was messed up. It was your computer. So you understood that this was your problem, and you understood that you know you made it right by waiving by waiving certain fees for the month. It was only fair, right? So again, if I, if you say you're going to do something, I hold you to that. And if you say something and then do something completely different and then don't make the effort to make it right, that's bad business. I'm, I can take my business elsewhere. I'm giving you a certain amount of time. I say I'll give you I'll give you a week. How's that? As a matter of fact, I'll give you until next I'll give you until next Friday. If by the time next Friday comes around and you still and you ignore the request or you ignore my message, I may send you a mess I may send you another one. If you ignore my message and the charge isn't reversed, then 
I'll have I'll happily cancel my subscription and I can take my business elsewhere. That's all. That's all. Now I get it. I'm not a big money maker for Blog Talk Radio. And just mm. but as a paying subscribing customer, I expect certain things, right? And if I don't get certain things that I expect as a paying customer, I can understand if I didn't pay, then pretty much I get what I get, and I understand that. But I'm a paying customer, so I expect what I expect. There's nothing wrong with that. doesn't matter what tier you want, what tier you run. If you pay for something, you expect something. You expect a level of service, and you expect a business to hold to its word. Now, BTR, you're on notice, all right? I'm just saying, BTR, you're on notice. That's it. On to the lecture. Now, I found this in Self Magazine, and it is 15 relationship tips from people who have been together for 20 20 plus years. So this is www.self.com. This was written February, last February 14th, so last Valentine's Day. So they, they published this for last Valentine's Day. Oh, it has something. If you've been together for 20 plus years, I guess this is, these are supposed to be relationship tips for you. Now, this was written by Lisa Butterworth. And Lisa Butterworth, let's see, does it say anything about her? Let's see if I can pull up her bio. Because I like to read about people who write these articles and see if, let's see, Lisa Butterworth is a pop culture obsessed writer and editor soaking up the eternal sunshine in Los Angeles. She's equally as invested in finding the best taco truck as she is protecting reproductive rights. So you you automatically know what side of the aisle this comes from. You can usually find her binging uh, something on Netflix, reading YA, reading a YA novel, or rearranging her crystals. And so she sees it fit to write relationship advice based on what again? But okay, let's not split hairs here, right? Um, let's see. So it comes as a part of self. Keep a hot package, a collection of content that celebrates love and lust. Don't ever will be dishing advice and inspiration for feeling hot, getting horny, and nurturing romantic relationships from somebody who literally only watches Netflix and rearranges crystals, and she's going to try to tell us how to keep work. Again, again, let's keep an open mind about this, right? So let's see. Let me pull this in closer and let's dig in. Let's see. It says, we've all seen them, the couples who can't keep their hands off each other, whether they're making out on a subway train or getting all googly-eyed uh, at a bar. It's usually a telltale sign that the pairing is brand new, a fresh infatuation being compulsively explored. Um, but sometimes you see a different kind of couple, one that clearly has a number of years under their belt, two people who have grown into and with each other. It might be septuagenarians, 70-year-olds, locking arms at the grocery store, or the middle-aged couple at dinner who still have uh, stars in their eyes. They seem the good, the bad, and the custom fit night guard, but somehow are still very much in love. Uh, for those of us who have yet to experience a relationship beyond the 10-year mark, or maybe not even the 10-month mark, spying long-term lovers in the wild is like spotting a, spotting a Yeti holding hands with a big foot. I don't understand. Well, no, I do kind of understand how that is because modern relationships aren't really built to work nowadays. Uh, just because of the sexual revolution and things that this the author of this has taken part in. Uh, relationships have died. They went away of the long relationships have went the way of the dodo. And again, blame sexual revolution and blame those who are pro-choice. 
like OP here. It's the OP's fault. Well, not OP. It's not OP's individual fault. Don't get that twisted. But OP and people like OP, it's their fault why she doesn't why she doesn't see as many long long term relationships as perhaps was in the past. Anyway, moving on. Um, what do how do they do it? What do they know that we don't? Well, let me answer that question. It's not how do they do it. It's not what do they know that we don't. It's what happened. Because you see, before the sexual revolution, people were together because they genuinely loved each other, not because of the sexual revolution. They just want to get the rocks off. They want to get the rocks off, A. B, money comes into it, and, and those two are, yeah, they're not conducive to a, a long-lasting relationship because long-lasting relationships are bonding of two souls on a, on a, deep, on a deep connective level. There's nothing about just jumping in the sack and then wondering about wondering about somebody's finances that is conducive to bonding on a, a real soul level. Not only that, I read or well, not I, I mentioned in a previous podcast about how marriages used to be, right? And I said that way a long time ago, back in like the days of feudalism and things like that, people got married not because of love, but because of resources, because one one family owned this, another family owned that, and hey, if we get the kids together, and then when we die off, those two those two sets of assets can be fused, and then that family has even more assets, and then when they have kids, you know, they can go out and have, find somebody else who has those assets, and then with those big assets, and then they can and then all these assets will be fused like generations down the road. That was the whole feudal marriage thing, right? And then again, arranged marriages were like that too, in the um, in the old Islamic ways and stuff like that. Families didn't marry; they 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 it was a merge of assets first. It worked out love later. Along comes Western civilization, and with Western civilization and the advent of capitalism and the beginning of the industrial revolution, so much money was being made that you know asset asset accumulation via family blending wasn't really a it went the way of the dodo, and then people realized that, hey, I can marry who I loved and because I can build my own resources. I can build my own pool of assets. So in that, you found somebody that you loved, that you bonded with on a real deep connective level. And pairing that with the religious order, then it, it, it made the fruits for a – the seeds were planted for a long-lasting marriage – on the basis of both religious um, religious ideations and uh, um, and a deep connective bond, and this is why you see people now, even now, sixty and seventy and eighty year olds still together, right? Because they didn't have to worry about things like sexual revolution and all this stuff, feminism and all this stuff. Well, interfeminism, and now women women now can make their own assets. The problem is that they're completely clueless. Like nobody's cluing them in as to what men are really looking for. Because men are look, basically looking for the same thing that we've always looked for. It's just that women change their parameters. Before they look for men with resources, now that they have their resources, they're not looking for men with resources. Which is why they go around blindly saying that they don't need a man, even though, even though, right? So, again. It just it doesn't make for a real good it doesn't make for a real good relationship when men women are walking around not knowing what what it is that men truly want yet and still they want to take the role of a man and 
picking a partner based on certain qualities. So you can't pick a man. You can't pick a man and expect it to work if you don't know what it is that a man wants and needs out of a relationship. It just doesn't work. And this is why, again, when the men went around picking the women, it worked. Now that women are being choosy about the men, it's not working because women literally don't know what men want, and women literally don't know what men need. And generations of single motherhood is not really it's not really good for teaching women what men want because a lot of single mothers don't know what themselves what men want, so they can't teach their daughter what men want. So now we have generations and gen- upon generations of girls coming up on a single motherhood not knowing what men want and still perpetuating that cycle of single motherhood. It's really just a vicious it's a vicious cycle, it's a downward spiral and Pretty soon, our society is going to be so balkanized that it's really not going to matter anyway. Nobody's going to reproduce. Population is going to go to hell in hand. That's it. We're not going to. We're not going to have enough people to sustain all the stuff that we were able to build back when we were well populated, and the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. So, thank you, Sexual Revolution, for doing that. I know that's kind of a myopic part of of things, but you know what? Those days are coming. I'll tell you that. 2024 is not going to be. It's going to, well, no, it's going to be interesting here on many fronts. Relationships are just one. Now, now that that tangent's over, back to the article. Most of us are well-versed in a romantic rush, uh, something new. But what happens when the new gets old and then older? Of course, that kind of commitment might be anathema for some, uh, anathema for some folks. And some people shouldn't stay together. But if you give up your beloved single serve coffee make single serve coffee maker or even your side of the bed to learn how to make two plus uh decade long relationship thrive, we've got some insight for you from those who've actually lived it. With Valentine's Day around the corner, self spoke with folks in happy, sexy, fulfilling long term relationships spanning twenty to sixty four years in duration. And what it takes to keep fire stoked. If you're happily coupled up or want some inspiration for the future, here's your relationship advice for making love and must last. All right, here we go. Let's get into this. Number one, stay open-minded about your sex life. What I've learned over 22 years is always be honest and never hurtful to keep experimenting sexually. We live by the rule of GGG, which is short for good, giving, game. You should strive to be good in bed, give each other equal time and pleasure, and be game for anything within reason. What I thought was hot at 25 when we were first married isn't necessarily what I think is hot now, so you never know what you might like if you don't try it. My husband has done a ton of investigation into different sexual techniques, which has led to the most powerful those that I ever had in my 40s. The other crucial element is that we never, ever criticize each other's bodies. In our 22 years, not once has my partner made me feel ashamed of my body. Instead, he has made me feel celebrated. In turn, I'm comfortable enough with him to do anything. I know I know. Ali sees as a dope lady who is his mate for life. Toby, 22 years together. Well, I've got something to say to that because I, there are some aspects I agree and there are some aspects where I vehemently disagree. I'm going to tell you why. The rule of GGD is good, good giving game, but you have to both be, you have to both be good in giving, right? I find a lot of times that women, especially women in relationships, aren't really the givers. They're not. They're, they're the takers. And they're not really into doing the things that, you know, that that men like. Because let's, let's face it, us men, we can have some pretty imaginative 
imaginative thing that, you know, that they turn us on. And it's not always the woman's cup of tea. In fact, it rarely ever is a woman's cup of tea. And, and the woman's like, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they balk at every little, every single suggestion. And they act like men's suggestions are somehow um, perverted or whatever, or sexually deviant. No, not exactly. It's just the way you see it. That's just the way you see it. But you're not even willing, you're not even willing to try. So women, that's where you have to like kind of step things up. Like men are with, men are more than willing to try to things that you like. Why? Because we're sexual creatures, right? So anything, anything new with sex or anything interesting, a man's going to try it. We'll try anything once, right? If we don't like it, we don't like it. Okay, we'll tell you we don't like it. But women, women are overly, they're overly picky about the things that they'll do or they'll, they'll call themselves willing to do. So this is where women have to pick their game up. Because again, um, if men don't get it from you, they're going to get it from somewhere, right? So if you make a suggestion from, from you and you balk at it, you really can't blame him for wanting to get it from somewhere because it's something that he wants to try. You don't want to try it so somebody else will. I'm just going to, I'm just throwing that out there. Now, um, be game for anything within reason. Yes, within reason is the is the operative term there. Within reason, make sure that you both agree on what's on what's decent for you to try. You know, if you can't agree on what's decent, you may want to adjust the parameters a little bit. And then the other Christian element, you never ever criticize each other's bodies. I call BS on that, and I'm going to tell you why. I think you need to be able to criticize each other's bodies because if you fall out of the – see, everybody has a certain range of what they find attractive from this to this, right, from the low end to the high end. Usually it has to do with weight. Somebody has a low end of what they find attractive before somebody's too skinny or somebody has an upper limit before they become too fat. Now, if somebody goes – if somebody – falls out of that range, I think you should be able, I think you should, you should be able to say, hey, I think you're a little bit on the skinny side, or I think you're a little bit on the chunky side, you know what I mean? And this goes for men and women. I think women should be able to say that to men just as easily as men should say that to women, and I think the, I think the partner who is being criticized should take that to heart. The problem is we get offended too easily when people tell the truth. And when people get offended easily, that that creates a barrier to self-improvement. So again, one of the one of the things that I read yesterday about a virtuous woman is about obsessed, obsession with self-improvement. And though I think obsession with anything is unhealthy, I think that a a good dose of willingness of self for self-improvement is a good thing. And if somebody is able to tell you, uh, honey. You're a little on the chunky side, you know, and have it sparks, have it be able to spark the desire to get into the gym. Well, that's a relationship improver. So again, this whole thing about we never criticize each other's bodies become a tell you what, Toby, little Miss Toby here. I bet you, and uh, I wouldn't say if the roles are reversed, but if things were different and she were on a dating market and she were looking for a mate. He would criticize the hell out of a man who was short, a man who had a small thingy, a man who, you understand, right, a man who's fat and bald. She would criticize the hell out of him. Yet, if somebody says, Toby, you're, you're a bit chunky for my taste, you know, 
I'm, I find myself not being attracted to your body anymore. All of a sudden, that dude's a misogynist. You don't accept me. You're fat phobic. You're this and you're that. So, again, I think we should be able to criticize each other's bodies. Um, learning to bend, that women command and men to women. Now, I understood that there's just certain things that you can't do anything really about, like your height or your thingy size. But, again, if it's something like, yeah, I'm finding myself falling out of attraction for you because of your weight or because well, because you're gaining or because you've gotten a little skinny or whatever, and it prompts you to do something about it because that can be changed. Then do something about it. Just like if I were, you know, so I were to criticize my girlfriend saying, hey, you're a bit on the chunky side. You may want to think about cutting back the calories and moving more. You know, it should inspire her to move more. It really should. Because physical attraction is definitely a thing, and physical attraction can be maintained all throughout life, especially if there's that deep uh, spiritual connection. Now, if you, now, the average person, the average crystal-holding Netflix watcher would say, well, if you have this deep spiritual connection anyway, why would it matter whether they gain weight or not? Because there's this, this deep spiritual connection. Yes, but physical attraction is also a thing. And when you have this physical attraction coupled with the deep connection, then the relationship lasts longer. And sexuality actually lasts longer, too. So you understand where I'm going with this. I I disagree with you should never criticize each other's bodies. No, I think you should criticize each other's bodies. I think you should critique each other often. Um, not only their bodies, but different things like their cooking and all that stuff. I think it should be, I think it all should be critiqued because self-improvement is a thing. I'm just saying. Let's see. Number two, carve out time, carve out time just for the two of you. My husband and I have twin teenage boys. Their lives are pretty jam-packed, uh, which means ours are too. So my husband and I make it a point to spend time together just as, um, it's just us. It doesn't have to be an over-the-top fancy date night. Most times it's a Sunday morning walk, a trip to the farmer's market. Uh, we even treat running errands together like it's a date. Making time to connect with each other, uh, making time to connect to show each other that you matter and the craziness of everyday life is so important. That I do agree with. You do have to make time for each, you do have to make time for each other. You just don't have to make a whole lot of time for each other. You don't have to spend every waking moment together. Um, you don't have to do every errand together. However, um, just doing things together in the midst of the craziness of raising a family, just carving out time for you two, is is a good thing, which is why I do not agree with having a TV in the bedroom. It's just bad bidding and bad juju. Because um, it takes away from, like, times of communication. Now I get it. There's just some times where you just want, kind of want to go out and do your thing. Okay, well, that's what the living room is for. But, you know... There, there is definitely time for just relaxing in the bedroom and just talking about things and, you know, just unwinding that way. There would be that time. And then there's, there should be time in the weekends where, you know, you go and do your, you go your, do your things independent of the kids, provided your kids are old enough to take care of themselves. Like this couple had teenagers, so the teenagers definitely can take care of themselves while they, do, while they wouldn't do their thing. Now, sometimes you'll have to wait until the kids are old enough to do their thing, and that's fine. Go ahead and raise their kids until they're old enough to um, to take care of themselves. 
and then you come back together and then you do your thing. But I see this I see this problem where there's so much time and attention dedicated to the kids that after the kids self suffice, they've lost the con they think. It's not that they lost the connection, they think they lost the connection and then after the kids self suffice, they they're so used to doing their own things while the kids are being raised that they keep doing their own things after the after the kids can self suffice. Well, no, that is the time to come back together, re-explore each other, and then go out and do the things together that you used to do. So, again, don't take the kids growing up as the time as the time that, you know, you look and start thinking that you've been on your own this long, you've been doing things on your own this long, we might as well just finish up things doing, doing it on our own. That's, that's a poisonous mindset. Um, let me try this real quick. I keep reading the title of my phone. Yeah, so, again, poisonous mindset. Let's not do that. Let's take the kids self-sufficing as a time to come back together, re-explore each other, and then, you know, do things that do things on our own that we weren't able to do when the kids were, when the kids were growing up. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with seeing to the kids until they're old enough to take care of themselves and then coming back together. Three, learn each other's values. We learned about and accepted each other's love language. I think love languages are BS, but okay, whatever. Um, we talk about what is important to us and, make, and what makes us feel loved. Huge grand gestures can be wonderful, but after a number of years, they simply turn into gestures. Sometimes the littlest acts of love can feel the most intimate. Such is, most, such is important to me, so we hold hands while watching TV, a tiny gesture that never goes unnoticed. Verbal expressions are important to my partner, so I make sure to say I love you to him every day, often at the smallest effort to have the big payoff. Christopher, 22 years ago. So I do, I kind of, I don't agree with the whole love language thing. I think that love language is kind of an excuse to make unreasonable demands under the guise of, oh, it's my love language. No, your love language is actually learning what your partner wants and then, and then trying to provide accordingly without expectations of, well, no, I, no, I shouldn't say, because you should expect, you should expect reciprocation. So I'm not going to say that. However, you shouldn't make all kinds of unruly demands and not uh, just because it's your love language, because I see this in a lot of relationships too, where somebody would say, well, he's not speaking my love language. He's not speaking my love language. And the question always gets, always gets asked, well, are you speaking theirs? And they go silent. And it's like, okay, so why do you expect them to speak your love language, but you don't have to? But you don't think you have to because you're a taker. And takers aren't, you know, takers aren't good for relationships. Relationships are a give and take. Everybody knows this. So, again, love languages are just, I see love languages as, as an excuse, right? Now, what needs to happen is when you get into these, you, you kind of need to know the person before you get into it. A relationship because I don't think a relationship is the time to get to know somebody. Get the time to get to know somebody, even be, is even before you date, right? Before you go out on your first date, you have to ask those questions because those questions help determine if this is a good if this is a good person to even date. Because you, why do you date? You date for marriage. A lot of people just date for fun now, which can lead to a whole bunch of missed opportunities and and um, unmet expectations. But when you do the homework before you go out on dates, then you can say, okay, 
I can date this person and see if he's good marriage potential because I know this, 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 and this and that about him. So let me go on a date and let me see how things go, right? According to the parameters that I was already able to glean. And then if the dates go well, you know this is a potential, this is a good potential husband or wife or whatever. And this is why you date. But sometimes, just sometimes, well, no, let me not go on that tangent yet. That's the time you learn somebody, not when you're already in a relationship. So, again, you already know what this person expects out of a marriage by the time you get into the relationship so that you're able to easily, more easily facilitate that if you're willing. If you're not willing to facilitate that, it'll bear itself out in the date, right? That'll bring itself out during the course of dating. And then while you're dating, you can say, well, you can say to yourself, well, this person has expectations that I'm just not willing to meet. And that's the time where that's the time where you can cut things off. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that when you're already in the commit, already in the commitment, and then you find out, well, this person has these kind of demands. I don't think I can do this. And then you want to divorce or whatever, because you don't think you need those. Well, it's already too late. So you understand where things go south and the train and the train gets derailed. So learning each other's values should have been done before before you even date. Before that first date. That's where the values should be learned. Let's see, number four. Try not to let arguments turn into screaming matches. A dear friend who is in the initial phase of a divorce recently mentioned that her spouse was unwilling to work on their anger issues and told her that yelling is normal. Her eyes nearly fell out of her head when I told her that my wife and I have never yelled at each other, not once, in nearly 24 years. We argue, have disagreements, but we never raise our voices or said unkind things to each other. It's a bedrock of strength in our connection. Passion, sex, date nights, good times, happenings, all those things wax and wane as years stack up. But maintaining the foundation of trust and respect is what keeps us connect, strong, connected, and in love, as Don's 24 years again. So... Here's, I'm, I'm mixed on this. Here's the thing. Try not to let arguments turn into screaming matches. I don't think that turning into screaming matches is necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, right? What's bad about an argument is when one party won't listen to logic. Now, here's the thing. Arguments, arguments have to follow a logical course, right? The reason why there's an argument is because of an unmet expectation. There's usually a logical conclusion. There's a logical conclusion that can be drawn from every argument. And if one person can drill down and uncover the logic behind why the argument is happening, and the other person is willing to accept that logic, well, then it doesn't matter if it devolves into a screaming match or not. Just as long as one person finds the logic and the other person accepts the logic, then the argument will be then the argument will be resolved peacefully, right? It's only when two people are in their feelings and the argument is completely devoid of logic is when these arguments devolve into screaming matches, devolve into nights of um, nights of solitude and cold shoulders and things like that. It's not good for a relationship. When you argue, and this is, and again, this is why I say I'd rather take timely communication over good communication. Why? Because timely communication, when this, when the initial storm has passed and there's some relative calm in the environment, right? 
That's probably the time to talk about what it was that you initially argued about. Why? Because the logic is the logic behind it is easier to delve into. When you're in your feelings and you're and you're having these yelling and screaming matches and nobody's really thinking about anything logically, is that a good time to really communicate? Try to communicate what's going on when nobody's really grasping the logic of what's of what's happening? So again, I always say Timely communication over good communication any day of the week. I'd rather I'd rather go to sleep on it unresolved because a lot of people say you shouldn't go to sleep angry. I think you should, and I think the reason why is because after getting some sleep, it's not going to be a good night's sleep. It's not going to be a peaceful sleep by any stretch. But after getting some sleep and being able to reflect on what's going on, easier to attack the logic of the issue. And again, as long as one person can find the logic and the other person can accept the logic, then then the um, then the argument will be resolved. And not only will it resolve, it shouldn't ever come up again because the logic behind what was going on is understood. So as long as one person can present the logical argument as to why why one position is right and the other person can accept that logic, it's all good. Now, what happens if you have two competing two competing logical arguments. Well, one's got to acquiesce. Who acquiesces? The person who wants to resolve it. So, again, not only, again, when, when the logic is expressed, somebody, somebody has to see what's correct, right? Because, again, if you have one situation with two logical arguments, well, there's only one that can really win out. Right, and the one that went out is one, one that wins out is the one that makes the most sense. Usually, the one that keeps it to, usually the one that best employs Occam's razor. And what I what I mean by Occam's razor is keep it simple, stupid. So the one whose the one whose argument doesn't take the most leaps to draw to derive at the logic, at whatever conclusion they arrive at, that's our, that's the argument that should win. So again, take that for what it's worth. I'll probably explain that more in a Saturday show because it's it's going to take an hour just to explain that. But suffice it to say that when two people are arguing, arguing, and devolves into a screaming match, where both people have a somewhat a somewhat coherent logical argument as to why they're right. Well, then you take Occam's razor again. You find out which argument the least leaps of take the least leaps to draw to the conclusion and then that's the argument that wins. That's how you take that's how you take Occam's razor and come to a come to a what's it called, come to an agreement. And then once you come to the agreement you understand that that logic if that logic prevails all the time, which it should, then there should never be an argument about that again. So there you go. Probably talk about that on a Saturday show. I don't know. Maybe for um, Valentine's Day. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, number five, put regular sex dates on the calendar. My husband and I recommend regularly scheduled sex intimacy date. If the time rolls around and and one or the other of you isn't into it, that's okay. Use the time to enjoy each other's company in other ways. Maybe talking turns into snuggling. Maybe snuggling is all you need. Maybe snuggling turns into something else. Also, speaking as a woman in my 60s who hit menopause in my late 50s, lube rules as as is a small dose 
of estradiology, a form of hormone replacement therapy, if sex becomes uncomfortable at any age, don't be afraid to talk about talk to your doctor. Again, a mix on this one. Now, it's a good it's always a good idea to keep lube on hand for anybody, right? Not just menopausal people, but anybody for anybody, right? Because there's gonna be those times when you absolutely want to, but your body doesn't cooperate. There will be those times. So everybody needs to keep lube. Now, um, regular sex dates, I disagree with. I'm going to tell you why. Because you pin, you pin a date on the calendar saying, we're going to do the thing. Well, what, if, what happens if that date rolls around and something, takes, and something takes precedence? That date rolls around and the kid gets sick, he has to go to the hospital. That date rolls or a kid injures himself, he has to go to the hospital. That date rolls around and somebody in the family dies. That date rolls around and the pet gets hurt or pet gets killed. So, again, and then what do you do? Wait for the next? So, I, sex should get in when you, when, you can, when you can get it in, as many times as you can get it in. Again, lube's a great thing. Uh, so, it helps facilitate that. But, again, I don't think sex should be held to just on a certain night just because it's that night. And you don't think that anything's going to happen because life is going to happen whether you like it or not. And life doesn't care about what you what you scheduled. Life doesn't care about what you want to do that day. Life is just going to throw what life's going to throw at you. And if you can't, if you if you schedule that day and life throws its life at you, then what are you going to do? Wait till the next one, and then life throws it at you again, and then wait till the next one. You'll never get around to doing what it is you need to do. So again, I don't believe in the I don't believe in sex date. I just say that you get it, you get it when you get it, and get it as often as you can get it. And if that means you have to put the put the kid down for a nap and then sneak into the bathroom for a quickie, do that, right? If that means that the kids are gone, you send the kids to the store to go shopping and you sneak one in the kitchen, whatever, do that. But again, or even if, even if. You say, okay, um, and it, it was this especially works if you have teenagers because your teenagers do it too. You say to your teenagers, hey, we're going to run to the store. We'll be back. You go to the store. Go get what you need to get. Take around to the back of the store. Do what you need. You know, handle your business in, the, in whatever seat. Make sure nobody's around. Go to like an abandoned section of the parking lot. Do what you need to do. Handle your business and then come back home. And trust me, kids do that. Also, should you? Just saying. Let's see. Number six: nurture your friendship and delegate household tasks. My partner and I were friends first, and we continually invest in our friendship. We still go to punk shows and do things together that we've loved doing since we were 20 years old. We have a lot of activities and interests that are a big part of who we are, independent of our family and other responsibilities as we've gotten older. And speaking of responsibilities, delegate. Be honest about what you want to do in a relationship and what you don't want to do. Then outsource the rest if you're privileged enough to do so. My husband loves to cook. And I love to do finances. Neither of us are good at home repair, but we're thrilled that TaskRabbit came along. Uh, you have to know your strengths and your weaknesses and build a system, uh, build a system around it. So you're not arguing about who should clean the toilet every Sunday morning. Lauren, 24 years together. Um. Yes and no. Here's the, here's what I believe, and a lot of people disagree with me. Just, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. When it comes to household tasks, 
because usually both, both people are working. I said this in a previous show. When it comes to household tasks, I believe, I certainly believe that you should never delegate a task to somebody who spends more time out working. I, you, you, you just should never do that. I think that whoever works less should spend the time at home doing tasks to make up the time between the time the time that you work and the time that they work. Here's what I mean by that. I'll explain it again. If you're a woman who's married and your husband works 40 hours a week and you only work 25, then you should spend 15 hours a week during household doing household chores. That's just how it is. Um, I mean, that's, how, that's, that's just how I see it. There's no reason, there should be no reason why you work 25 hours a week, he works 40 hours a week, and you're delegating household tasks to him. That's unfair. Um, likewise, if you're a man who's married to a woman doing 40 hours a week and you only work 25, regardless of how much, how much income is earned, you literally should spend that 15 hours a week as a man doing housework because there's no way that you should send your I'm not saying you're sending a woman but there's no way a woman should go out work 40 hours a week then come home and then have to do any housework so it goes both ways a lot of people think that when I say that it just it's just it refers to the man working 40 hours I mean it just refers to the man delegating the woman uh, the housework, and it's not true. I say that for anybody who's anybody who has that employment gap. If the man works 40 and the woman works 25, the woman needs to spend that 15 hours a week, extra 15 hours a week, doing housework. And if the real world's reversed and the woman's doing 40 hours, the man's doing 40, uh, 25, the man should spend 15 hours a week doing housework. And again, that's Notwithstanding certain situations like bed rest for injuries and things like that, because I get it, that comes up. I just went through that in December where I had to have surgery and I couldn't work, right? Neither could I do a lot of housework. So that notwithstanding, extraneous circumstances notwithstanding, I think if the arrangement is, not the arrangement, but if the situation is what it is, then that then parity needs to be brought. So again, Men, if you're working less than your woman, make it up make it up in housework. That's how it is. Same with women. Women, if you're working less than your man, not earning less, but working less. Again, regardless of the earning, if you work twenty five hours and your man works forty, then fifteen hours should be spent doing housework. Doesn't matter how much you make. You can your man can make seventy thousand dollars, you can make hundred and fifty doing twenty five hours of work. You still need to do fifteen hours of work in around the house to make up that to make it up that 40. Is that fair? Am I explaining that correctly? Let me know. You know how to reach me. I, I say show after show how to reach me. If that's fair, if that's unfair, leave me a leave me a message, leave me an email. Tell me that's unfair. Tell me that's fair. Let's see. Number seven. Find ways to make each other feel appreciated. We've been married almost 50 years. During all that time it's important that we each continually communicate that the other is loved. My husband tells me he loves me constantly. He tells me that I'm the most beautiful beautiful person. For me, I'm most comfortable giving hugs each night when we climb into bed. These moments of embrace, I think, tell it all. 
that we are still in love and that to me this person is the most special. Mona, fifty years together. Yes, find please find ways to make a pre- to make each other feel appreciated. Women more so than men. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because men always show their appreciation. In different ways. But I find that a lot of men just sort of feel appreciated in the relationship because the woman really doesn't make either her efforts are way too subtle or she just doesn't make an effort at all because she feels like the man, if the man wants to keep her, she should put in the effort to keep her. And that's really unfair because men, we're not, we men aren't appreciated anyway for anything that we do. The reason why is because we're expected to do the things we do. So when the, when that expectation, when there's an expectation there, appreciation is not. Why? Because you're expected there. are just some things that you're expected to do. As an adult, again, people shouldn't, people don't, I wouldn't say, shouldn't be, yeah, shouldn't be, I'm going to pay this. People don't believe it. Just, just relax. All right? Just relax. Just hang on. Um, Men are expected to do what men are expected to do, and the expectation does not come with appreciation. Why? Because it's an expectation. Usually appreciation comes from going above and beyond, but with, no matter what men do, men are expected to do it. So there is no going above and beyond for men. If men go above and beyond, it's all a part of the expectation. Therefore, they never get appreciated. A lot of men, for a lot of men, I'd say over 60%, the first time they ever get flowers is at their funeral. For women, it's quite different. Women have always been appreciated throughout the years. Because men always find a way to appreciate a woman because a man historically has had, has had to do things to keep women. This is historically accurate. Now, with the advent of the sexual revolution and women entering the marketplace and, take, and co-opting the role of men, they still expect men to do things to keep them. They still see themselves as a prize, even though, they out, even though women outnumber men, taking away from their status as a prize, they still see themselves as a prize. And then as such, they expect men to do what they need to do to be able to keep them. And that's just not, that's just not, that's just not how it goes. Not nowadays. Maybe before, not nowadays. Now you have to find, again, like number seven says, find a way to make each other feel appreciated. That means women, when your man does something, you really need to go above and beyond to make sure he feels appreciated. Just like if he does the dishes and then you turn if he does the dishes, even though you're supposed to, and he picks that up for you, remember I did the I did the whole thing, I did the whole example with uh, the party where the Smith and the Joneses were coming together, and, and for some reason you didn't do you didn't cook like you said you were going to, so she picked that up and he carries that ball and he made this delicious meal, and then that night you turn your back on him and you go to sleep because you're tired. Well, how does that make him feel appreciated? He went above and beyond to pick up pick up the ball that you fumbled and ran ran it into the end zone. But then you can't show him the slightest bit of appreciation in bed. So what does that communicate to your man? So again, he's he's he found a way of appreciating you by picking up your ball and running with it, but you can't do the same for him. And this is what I find in a lot of relationships. The women you need to do better with that. Let's see, number eight. Realize that choosing love is like exercising a muscle that only gets stronger over time. Continuously decide, continuously decide to choose your partner with all of their virtues and faults. 
It can sometimes feel like work, but making that decision, especially when you're frustrated or upset, uh, allows you to see all the great parts of your relationship and can help ensure that you don't take each other for granted. And at first, this was a daily, conclu- con- a daily conscious choice for me and my wife, but now it's just how we live in an awesome groove, an awesome groove that makes choice easy. Because we are both deciding to choose us, and we are mindful of the little gestures of love, the small moments that make a life together special, maximizing the little bright spots naturally that miss frustrations, anger, and resentment. A joyful, positive outlook simply becomes routine. Andrew, 20 years ago. Seriously, decide to choose your partner. Yes, yes, and yes, all the time, yes, because people will look at other people. Look at other people. I mean, that's just a fact of life. People look at other people. Men look at other women. Women look at other men. But choose your partner. The problem is, is that we live in a, we live in a, we live in such a, uh, such an options-driven time in society that there's just so many choices out there now that it's easily, it's easy to go astray. And with the ever-looming specter of hypergamy, especially in women. They, um, but the ever now men have their men have hypergamy their tendencies of hypergamy as well, except with in lieu of financial hypergamy, which is what claims women, men is um, aesthetic hypergamy. So he'll always a man will always look at another woman and compare them to what he has. But the choice, the thing is, you chose your woman for a reason. Right, you, you did. You chose her for a reason. Men, you control access to long-term relationships. You chose that woman for a reason. So why are you looking at your woman and looking and then comparing aesthetic, saying, "Oh wow, she looks so much"? Choose your partner. It doesn't matter because remember, that good-looking woman can have her own set of issues, and you don't and you don't see that. All you see is looks. You got to remember. You got to. You just got to take a look at some of these videos out here, some of these TikToks and some of these YouTubes. And to understand the modern woman mindset. So men, when you're looking at this one, when you're looking at this woman, you better start thinking OnlyFans. You better start thinking escort. Are you really going to want to deal with that? No. You chose your woman. You chose your woman for a reason. You chose her because she's not all over social media. You chose her because she's not on OnlyFans. You chose her because she's not an escort. You chose her because her body count is low. So choose. Choose your partner. Choose your partner. Now, if there's something else, if there's something else going on there that you need to revisit and work, either work out or split up because of it, if it weren't splitting up because of it, then fine. But choose your partner first, and then work out everything. Work out everything as it comes. Now, women, it's the same thing. You may have, you may see this guy. He maybe has, he maybe he has a big, he may have a bigger wallet than your man. But you chose your man for a reason. No, your man chose you for a reason. But again, but you you courted that man and that man gave you access to a long term relationship with him and you're in it with him. So you decided that for a reason. You decided to stick it out with him for a reason. So why are you looking at this guy? Because remember, you may see he may be handsome, he may you may have a fat wallet, but he also may be a chat who really doesn't give a shit. He just wants to get his rocks off. Way too many times have I heard women get divorce their husband. Yeah, let's see. Uh Looks like I'm going to do some overtime with this. That's fine. Um, way too many times, women divorce their husbands or somebody who's handsome and has money, and then ends, and then it turns out that she was just a side chick. 
She was one among like five or six or ten. But she left this perfectly good man because she didn't choose her man. She chose that. No, choose your partner. Let's see. Um, go, let's see. Realize that choosing love. Yes, choose love. Nine, don't be afraid to do your own thing and let your partner do theirs. My husband and I have always respected each other as individuals. We have interests and friends and don't all, that's, that don't always commingle. But we come back together and share those experiences with each other. It allows us to learn. And it keeps our relationship interesting because I don't spend all my time with him. I want to spend all my time with him. That's a good point. Um, also, when it comes to handling day-to-day responsibilities of running a household, I recognize that whenever I ask him to do, whatever I ask him to do, he will likely do it differently than I would, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Micromanaging is not sexy. Yes, micromanaging is not sexy. I, I say, hey, this needs to be done. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you skim the cat. Cat better be bald at the end of the day. Just like if my girlfriend says, hey, this, this, and this needs to be done, she's not going to go. She's not going around and tell me how to do it. She's not going to say, well, I want to do this, this, and this, this is how you need to do it. No, no. It doesn't stand over me saying, why are you doing it this, this, and this way? She doesn't do that to me. I don't do that to her. We just say, hey, this needs to be done. Can you handle this? I don't care how it's handled. Just handle it. Next point is, um, yeah, you're not always going to have lines that commingle, and that's perfectly fine. I like football. My girlfriend doesn't. My girlfriend hates football. But she understands that, you know, for a few months out of the year, I'm going to be pretty much engrossed in college football because that is just my passion. And I let her know that up front, and that's just who I am. I love college football. I love anything about college football. So for those months between friggin' September and December, January timeframe, that's going to be my thing. She's okay with that. Just like she just she has her thing. She has her music and everything. The, I do go to her performances. I do go to her shows. Um, I don't go to every rehearsal. That's just not my thing. She goes to her rehearsals. She does, or she does her vocal lessons. I come in and I do my thing if it's not football season. So, you know, I have my things that I do. She has her things that, that she does. But when it's time for us to experience life together, do the things that we like together as a team, because we do have a common interest. When it comes to our common interests, we always do them together. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing everything together or everything apart, that's a problem. You really need to you, you, you need to find some things to do together and to do them together. So it's a basis of a good relationship. Number 11, make sure you align on the big stuff and the little differences will matter as much. When I met my husband, he listened to classical music. I, on the other hand, listened to Doris Zeppelin and Janis Joplin. He was into literature. I was into art. He was born on the East Coast. I was a native California girl. But he was kind, smart, and enjoyed being with my family. The more we hung out, the more we realized that we shared some core values, which are very different from the tastes and preferences. Core values are the character that tra- character traits that matter and the beliefs that guide your behavior, behaviors, actions, and decisions. Excuse me. We both value honesty, spirituality, hard work, and, and devotion to family, and the big one, integrity. I believe that sharing these core values is what, keep, what has kept our marriage intact through the ups and downs. He's my best friend. I love my soulmate. And I want to do it all over again. It goes, it harkens back to having your own interests and then having common interests. Yeah, the common interests should be the bigger things like core values and religious beliefs and things, political beliefs and things like that. Now, now just on a personal point, my girlfriend, when I got 
when I got with my girlfriend at the time, I had just, no, I shouldn't say that, because I, I've been a Trump supporter since 2016, so I'm a conservative, I'm a staunch conservative. People, people will say I'm right wing. I don't know what's right wing about me. I just, I just know that Trump was a great president. All right, all right. So there were some things that there are a lot of things that I supported, a few things that I didn't. A few things that were like, oh, he could have done better. But overall, I support Trump as a president. She came out of university, a liberal, a liberal slash communist, right? And from many conversations that we've had. I wouldn't say I was able to get her to see the light, but when I presented her with the facts and the truth of all the all the matters that she she called herself believing in, she really couldn't argue. And coupled with what was going on out in reality versus what she was taught in university, she had to kind of come around and see like, oh my God, he's right. So again, political beliefs political beliefs are whatever, right? I know I'm going to go through overtime, but that's fine. Political beliefs or whatever. Um, spiritual beliefs. The thing about spiritual beliefs is that they can be used as a cudgel, right? I, I've known people who do it. I've known people who claim to be a Christian and then use it as a cudgel against whatever. They use it as a hammer and everything else is a nail. That's not how Christianity is supposed to be done. You just read the Bible. Just, just read Matthew chapter 5. So, again, political beliefs, I mean, political beliefs, this is malleable. It really is. Because there are good points on either side. And, again, they, they excoriated Trump for saying that, but it's absolutely true. There are good points on either side. And I'm not talking about white supremacy or anything like that. Again, nobody is. Not Donald Trump when he said it in Charlottesville. Not me when I'm saying it now. But there are good points. There are good points on either side. However, and I think conservatism has more good points. But I'm just saying they're good. They're, liberalism actually does have a few good points. I agree with. Like the thing about prostitution. I again, a lot of staunch, more staunch conservatives would turn their nose up at the prospect of legalizing prostitution. Me, when I said that, when I did that town hall for the black um for the Kent black action committee i did that town hall and they asked me what i would do about because the whole green river killer thing when the green river killer was was targeting prostitutes and they asked me what would i do to protect prostitutes right now your average conservative would would ask why are they prostitutes i didn't ask that i said look if they want to be prostitutes well Let's protect them by allowing them to get good business licenses, by by legalizing first, let them get business licenses, and let them run it out. Let them run out of their own homes so they're not in the street. That's what I believe then. That's what I believe now. So again, there are good there are good arguments on both sides. Conservatism has more, but again, there are good there are good points on both sides. So religious, I mean, political is malleable. Religious, yes, as long as it's not used as a cudgel. So pretty much anything can be worked through. It's just doing the mental, doing the mental heavy to work through it. Number twelve, be each other's number one supporter. We were friends first, and I think, I think that's one of the main ingredients. We've been together since 1995, so we've had a chance to grow up with each other, and we aim to encourage each other's personal pursuits. We call it being a for each other. It's very important because again, you have to be a for each other. You have to, you have to be each other's cheerleader and not just constant critic. Yeah, criticism. 
Criticism is good, don't get me wrong, because it points out areas for self-improvement. However, when you're constantly criticizing and not being each other's cheerleader, that, be, that becomes the, dis, the death and destruction of a relationship. So cheer each other on in the things that they do well and not just and not just have it be something they're expected to do. I mean, is that so hard? Number 13, realize that it's sometimes okay to go to bed angry, which is what I say, which is what I've been saying. Thank you. For, thank you for, for reinforcing that. Realize that it's sometimes it's okay to go to bed angry because what do I say? I'd rather have timely communication than good communication any day of the week. And this is, this is why. Music and our connector forever speaks to the memories of falling in love, being young, uh, being young and carefree, friendship, gratitude, joy, and sadness, and all the feelings that we shared over the years. What we feel for each other runs deep, and when our own words fail us, the words of the songs become our voice. People say, don't go to bed angry, but that doesn't work for us. Sometimes we just need to try to sort things out, and that means honoring the space we may require. I remember one time when we had a couple of days where we, didn't, where we couldn't seem to get over an argument. I could hardly breathe. And then I got in my car and turned on my music only to hear our favorite song by Jefferson Airplane that my husband had set to play when the motor started. Hi, you're my best friend, and I love you so well. I follow you wherever uh, time will take me to. Forever I'll be with you. One with, I know that song. And our love story began again. Again. Timely communication over good communication all day long. I'd rather wait for the storm to pass and then get to the heart of the issue than to do it while, than to have all the right words while the storm is still brewing because it's, it'll, it won't work that way. Number 14, know that, yes, communication really is key. Weekly date nights, holding hands, romantic getaways, nice dinners, a kiss before bed every night. These are all components that we've heard throughout our lives that we need to keep love alive. I'm not saying that these can't be important parts of maintaining closeness. It's just that they really don't mean much unless they mean much. That's a good point. Um, and the only way to know what means the most to you or your partner is through communication. We've been successful at growing our love through 21-year marriage because we talk things out. I pretty much learned right away that my husband is not a mind reader. Better point. Respectful communication is what works for us. It's the root of all of it. We mutually use encouraging words and listening to each other and try to be both honest and understanding. It's creating creating a safe place where we can share what we need from each other and continue to grow. Yes, communication is key. Talking, talking things out, but not only talking, listening, and understanding the difference between, because here's, here's another thing, and I go through this with my girlfriend, because she's, She's very chatty. She's very talkative, and she she talks she talks through a lot of her things like I do. I use only because I use Blog Talk Radio. She just does it around the house, and um, I filter I filter things that she says. So I find myself I find my when I find myself listening to some of the things she says, then I say, oh well, she's talking herself through something, so I tend not to listen to it. And then she'll ask me she'll ask me something about what she said, and I'm like. Oh, did you really want me to? Did you really want me to to digest what you were saying? Because if so, you should have told me so instead of just ranting and raving about it. Because I'm thinking that you're talking, you're talking yourself through your issues. And I tend to do the same thing. So it really pays to help your partner discern 
what it is you're talking through, through what it is you actually want them to listen to. That's a very big, that's a very big thing, and it goes both ways. So once you learn how to do that, then communication becomes much more deep. And then number 15, consider couples therapy. It's not sexy, but couples therapy is our secret. Unfortunately, many of us aren't given the tools to communicate well. And without those, we can end up feeling unappreciated, unloved, or and full of resentment, all of which are major turnoffs. Love and attraction can't thrive under those circumstances. Communicating our needs is clearly our part. Oh, communicating our needs clearly to our partners is what makes love last, and therapy can certainly help with that. Kim, 20 years together with me. Couples therapy, I'm mixed on that because, again, a lot of couples therapists are very gynocentric. And it does no good for the relationship. Therapists are supposed therapists are supposed to be paid to maintain a neutral maintain a neutral stance, and then consider consider both arguments and figure out the best road according to according to everything that's presented from both parties. However, you don't find that nowadays. Why? Because more women are getting into psychology, and more women are going into going into being um, couples therapists. That coupled with what they're learning in university means that universities are churning out gynocentric women who destroy relationships with one mar- with one-sided marital advice. So I'm very I'm very I'm iffy on couples therapy as a whole. However, I do think that with the right couples therapist, it can be a good tool. When all else fails, I think that before you go to couples therapy, you should explore every other option. Going up this list from 15 to one. I mean, from 14 to 1, consider all those options. Consider improving something in there. But when all else fails, I think the right couple of therapists can help. The problem is finding the right couple of therapists can be like finding a needle in a haystack because, again, these universities are churning out couple of therapists who are well, well versed in gender ideology and is very bad for marriages. So, again, if you're going to do couples research, I mean, if you're going to do couples therapy, you need to thoroughly research the therapist, where they went to school, what they got their degree in. And if you can't ask the therapist about what class, the classes that they took. And again, they should be open about that. And if they're not, consider another therapist. Because you shouldn't see any couple of therapists who've had any classes in gender studies and feminist ideology and in any of these other BS classes that universities offer for, for um, to make the degree easier to get. You, you just shouldn't do it. So again, it's going to take a lot of work to find the right couple of therapists, but when you do, I think it can be a great resource when all else fails. I'm ABC. Thanks for listening. Um, I do this every day from 11 to 12 on Blog Talk Radio, but again, I've, I've thrown down the gauntlet to Blog Talk Radio, so if they don't make things right, then you're going to see me on another platform pretty soon. So, again, but I do this from 11 to 12. So you can tune in and listen to everything that I have to say. And if you want, you can call in. Again, I don't get a lot of callers. That's fine. You guys like to listen to the – I see the numbers. You guys like to listen to the models. That's cool. Um, I am on Apple Podcasts. So if you search the ABC Podcast on Blog Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts, you'll see me subscribe to the show. It's absolutely free. I don't charge anything for it. Um, I'm also on social media. Just search at ABC, whatever social media you're on, and you can follow me. Um, but, but I only really post to Truth Social and and um, Facebook. So on Facebook, I have these sites. I have 
um, my personal site, which is jesse.ramsey.79. That's the link, or that's the address, facebook.com slash jesse.ramsey.79. You can also search for Jesse Ramsey ABC, and that'll be my personal page, or the ABC podcast, that's the show's page. And I need to get better about posting the shows on my page so I can boost my numbers. But, but um, that's where I am on Facebook. I'm also on TikTok. I'm jesse.ramsey.abc on TikTok. So you can follow me there. I don't really, I bought Snapchat, but I really don't do anything. I really don't do anything with it. So again, that's how you can get a hold of me. If you want to email me, I get more emails than anything. It's jesse, J E S S I E, at jramseyabc.com. And that's my email. So send me emails um, and I'll read it. And if there's something you want, if there's something you want me to read on the air, send, me, send it to me in an email or a direct message on Facebook or even a direct message on TikTok. And I'll read it for you, all right? And that's it. Thanks for listening. Um, so, again, 11, to 12, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific every day, Monday through Friday, and then 4 to 6 p.m. on Saturdays. I do what's called the Saturday Special. It's two hours. So that's that's it. That's how you that's how you listen to me. So I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening. And maybe Now remember, the future is what you make of it. So go out there and make the dating world a better place.